Before we get into the Word of God, we're going to do something um, special. We've been doing it every week, and we've been allowing people to give their testimony, and it's just great opportunity to hear how the power of God has been working in just different people's lives because we all have different experiences, and it's good to be able to connect with something. So we're going to introduce Dan. Come on up, Dan. And he's going to be sharing with us today a little bit about his testimony. Um. So the long story is in five minutes, right, Chris? So in five minutes, Chris is coming up. But um, I'm not sure if you can relate to this, but I'm a Baptist preacher's kid, tiny little Baptist churches. I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, my dad was a pastor of little Baptist churches in towns of 500 people, no traffic lights. Um, so I grew up going to church, it felt like all the time. And so... Many of you have salvation experiences where you know, you can point maybe to a specific time and place where something amazing happened. It was just, I mean, you'll never forget it. And my story is a lot different because I grew up going to church. Um, I remember praying a prayer as a little kid, and I'm not saying that uh, we shouldn't teach our kids to pray and, and, to, and to ask God to, uh, to save them. But because I had always been in church, I never had this experience of, this radical transformation. Um, I talked to my friends about Jesus in high school. Uh, because I was a Baptist preacher's kid, I had to be a little bit better than every other kid in our church. Uh, small churches, and so you sing in the choir, uh, you're a leader in youth group. Uh, I did all that stuff. And I, I'm not saying I wasn't a Christian, but it was just, that was part of who I was raised to be because I was a preacher's kid. And I never really rebelled against that outwardly, even though I resented it, um, being in those tiny churches. So fast forward, um, in my particular family, we didn't get college choices. We were going to Bible college, and there was one Bible college we could go to. So if I took an SAT, I don't remember, and maybe I did, but the little Bible college I went to, uh, if you had a salvation experience, uh, you got to go. So I started at this Bible college, and again, just, again, doing all the right stuff, and again, whether I was in or out, I mean, that was a big question when I was growing up. Are you in or are you out? Are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? And I sure didn't want to go to hell, and so when we have evangelists come through, they talk about salvation, and they talk a lot about hell. So I would pray this prayer probably thousands of times over the course of my childhood and early teen years. God, if I wasn't serious last time, I mean it now. Please, because I don't want to go to hell. And But again, that was my experience. Um, so I get to college, and the middle of my sophomore year, uh, that semester I was taking a, uh, a course on the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, actually, the middle of my junior year. And I was taking a lot of credits, and I felt under pressure, and we had this big paper uh, that was due at the end of the semester. I didn't have a paper, but fortunately for me, I had a brother in seminary who had also taken a class in the Gospel of Matthew. So I asked my brother, hey, could I see your paper? And that became my paper for that particular course. So that happened at the end of that semester. I come back in January, starting to get ready for the next semester, and my conscience was just, I mean, I'm the preacher's kid. How could I have allowed myself to do something that is so horrible as to cheat and to turn in my brother's paper? Um, nobody knew except me, and of course God. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of uh, conviction. So I went and I told my college professor, my uh, yeah, my college professor, what I had done. I said I turned in my brother's paper and I cheated, and I got an F. 
And that was the best grade I ever got in college. Because, again, I had never had one of these aha moments where you know, and I had struggled with, am I in or am I out? But because of the conviction of that moment, for the first time, my life took a radical change. And I knew that that was the power of God because it was humiliating, but I felt like I had no choice. And so, maybe not a traditional salvation story, but again, that was the resurrection power that that Chris is going to talk about. Uh, It impacts us all in different ways and in different moments, but that is my story of God's resurrection power. Praise God. Oh, man. That's awesome because we all come from different backgrounds, right? And we think that we have to have this kind of radical conversion experience. But the power of God, what's the evidence of the power of God that's working in us? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're in um, Ephesians, and the big idea of our sermon series is power at work. And that's what Dan talked about today. And so Aaron started off the sermon series, and she taught us that God's love has been set on you before the beginning of time. Right? What did she say? She said, God's love has been set on you before the beginning of time. And it's because of his love for us. His power is at work for us and in us to the praise of his glory. That's powerful. And Doug Paul came last week and he said, he came letting us know that the power of God working in us makes us like superhumans. And he gave us an equation. Anybody remember the equation he gave us? He gave us a Spider-Man equation, right? He said, Peter Parker plus a spider bite and radiation equals Spider-Man. Just like us plus the love of God equals superhuman Christians. That's amazing. And it's because of his love he does his work on the inside of us. And since we're talking about cartoons, while some of us are watching cartoons, you might have to be a little bit over 30 to appreciate this. I used to watch a cartoon when I was growing up. And let me set the scene. And this is in a world where caring, people just didn't do it. There were beings who were created just for that very purpose. Does anybody know where I'm going? Look, I used to watch the Care Bears. Anybody remember the Care Bears? See, I know you don't understand it. You can watch it on YouTube and you will be blessed. Right? And so listen, the Care Bears, they were like people, but they were bears, but they were like people, right? And they were all different colors, just like we are in this room. And they had a picture on their stomach to tell you a little bit of what they might be like on the inside. It was amazing. And look, They cared about each other. They cared about others. And then when times got hard, when it got real, when they had to encounter some evil, who remembers what they used to do? Hey, look, come on now. Hold on, hold on. The power that worked within them was the power of love, and the power of love that was within them came out and overcame all the evil in the world. Great day. Great day. Hey, look, Spider-Man doesn't have anything on that. Because, look, it's just a great illustration. 
of what it means to be in a world, but not of it. And that same power that made you not of the world also flows from the inside of us to redeem it. Man, that's a powerful story. And so we're going to be reading from Ephesians today, and it's going to be chapter 2. We don't have any slides, so if you have your mobile devices, you might want to get that Bible app. And if you have a Bible itself, you might want to turn to it. We're going to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Now, this is one of those scripture passages that everybody looks at, and it reminds us that it's by grace and not works that we're saved, right? That's the overall, and we know that, and it's because of God's love. It's because he loved us that is nothing that we can do on our own strength, but it's because of his grace, and that's a powerful message, but I think Paul is trying to dig into some into some very powerful messages through this passage. And he's conveying it through some specific points. Okay? So first, before we start reading, I believe that Paul wants the church of Ephesus to know the power that works towards believers. And that's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that brings you and me from death to life it's the same mighty power that brought Jesus from the dead. Can I get an amen on that one? There we go. Y'all talking to me. I like that. Then, I believe Paul went into the church of Ephesus to feel and to know that power of Christ that's working in them. He wants them to feel it. He wants them to know that power. And lastly, I think Paul went to church to Ephesus, and he wants us to be able to live in the life of Christ. We've been made alive. We were dead. And he wants us to know what that looks like and live into it, into his fullness. All right, so let's get into our scripture. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, because of your great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Thank you, Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Father God, I ask that you would give us a revelation today. I hope that you would encourage us today. And give us the grace to walk in a way that we never had before. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Alright, now Paul starts off by drilling down on the power that brings us from death to life. And he starts by giving us the reality of our, dis- our, of our condition 
without Christ. This is something that he has to make plain and clear for us. For us to able to for us to be able to recognize the power of God, we have to know our condition and why we need such a power. And so Paul starts out by describing the system that influences the things that are happening on the outside of us, right? He starts talking about the world. And he says that there is a massive world system that influences everything that we do. In the scripture it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And which you used to live in when you follow the ways of this world. Then he also talks about another element. Paul addresses the fact that there is a massive devil also at work in this system against us. Right? And the scripture says, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And lastly, Paul points the finger to us. He talked about all those factors on the outside, but then he looks at us. And he describes that we are by nature sinful. That we are by nature living by the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our bodies and minds, being sons of disobedience, and by nature deserving of wrath. And when I looked at these scriptures, I'm like, what is it? Is it like the world? Is it this major devil that's out there working against us? Or is it me? Am I just a son of disobedience? But Paul is digging into these things because we have to recognize our condition. We are dead. And it's not just one of those things. It's all of them. We're like a fish in water. We are in lockstep agreement with everything going on in this process. And that there is nothing that we can do in our own strength to bring us out of it. There is absolutely nothing. It's going to take power. It's going to take power to bring us from death to life. And I think that's what Paul is trying to get us to see. Like, the power that transformed us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And this is important because it's not just that we've been delivered from this world system. He's broke the chains of sin and death. And when we talk about breaking the chains of sin and death, I look back on my life and I look at the ways where I was a slave. And I know nobody likes to be a slave because I didn't like being a slave. I was a slave to the passions of my flesh, carrying out the desires of my body and my mind. And the things that I pursued that brought me pleasure, they began to torment me. I don't know if anybody else has ever been in that place before. But there were cycles of sin and shame. There were cycles of pain that I was tied to. And it was associated with everything that was in the dead me and in the world. The amazing thing is, is that I'm free now. I'm alive. And because of the resurrection power of Christ... I know that I've been changed. And that is a testimony. That's amazing. I know that I've been changed. Because the same power that brought Jesus from death to life, that resurrection power now is alive in me, and it brought me from death to life. And that same power that brought me from death to life is the same power that brings you from death to life. And that same power that did something on the inside of Dan and his testimony is the same power that did something on the inside of me also. When I was in college, I had a radical transformation experience into being a Christian. 
People saw, like right before their eyes, they thought I lost my mind when I was converted. They literally thought I lost my mind. And so I may not have the same conversion experience as Dan did, but I was thrown in the depths of sin. And right before people, they knew what it looked like for me to be brought from death to life. And some of y'all looking at me like y'all never been delivered from nothing. (laughs) I'm serious. Because the power of God that flowed in, that transformed me, it influenced everything that came out of me. I couldn't walk the same. I couldn't talk the same. I didn't do anything the same way that was associated with the old man, the dead man. I had to cut things off because I couldn't even work in the new works that God had set before me. And if you knew your condition before you knew Christ, even if you weren't quite the sinner that I was, you would know that you were dead too. And even if you didn't have that radical conversion experience, that power of God has changed you. It's the power that breaks chains, the power that allows us to live in the spirit. And we're not expected to be perfect. All we're expected to do is receive God love and allow him to do that transformation work on the inside of us. Did y'all get that? It's not about being perfect. And in my own experiences, I've received the love of God. He continues to transform me on the inside. And I've done some really stupid things along my journey. Even as a Christian. Because it's not about us being perfect. Listen. It's the times where I've made the biggest mistakes. That I've seen the miraculous work of God on the inside. That transforms me. I'd like to share a story with you guys. Um, There was a time where I was in the military. And um, I was on my third deployment. My last deployment. And we had a week before we were to get on a plane and come home. And we had a mission-critical objective that we had to fulfill. I was the ranking person on the team, and I gave each person their directive. As I gave each person their directive, they knew exactly what they were supposed to do. When I got to the last person, I gave him their directive. He did not comply. I gave him then an order. He continued not to comply. And then I did, which was absolutely culturally accepted in the military, especially when it's mission critical. I gave him the motivation that he needed to get the job done. Does anybody know what I mean by that? So if I were to say, I, would, I pretty much would say I stuck my foot so far up his butt that if he opened his mouth, he could see my toes wiggling. Like it was so bad and it was in front of the whole team. Like, look, we got the job done, right? But in the process of getting the job done, I broke this man's spirit. And even though we got that job done, after that experience, we got on a plane and we came home and we went to the same base. Every time I passed by him on this base, we would lock eyes and I can feel that he wanted to fight me every time he saw me. I had broke his spirit that bad. And I was, I was compelled to give him the same look because we're in the military, right? We're tough guys. But the power that worked on the inside of me did not allow me to stay the same person that I was. It would not allow me to just be, to just go along with the culture. And because of this power on the inside of me, the next, the last time I passed by him, I actually pulled my car over 
and I got out of my car and I approached him. And when he saw me walking up to him, he had his fist balled up as if he thought it was about to go down. And I walked up to him. I said, hey, man, you remember when we were deployed? He said, yeah. I said, man, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. We got the job done, but I shouldn't have done it like that. And I just want to ask if you forgive me. His hands became unclenched and tears filled his eyes. And something happened that I never even imagined that could happen. This guy gave me a hug. It's not just that the power works on the inside of us to transform us, to change us, to make us a new person. God does that. We can't do that. I couldn't do that in my own strength. But he doesn't just transform us on the inside. He works to redeem those things on the outside of us. So the things that come from inside are not Chris. They're not us anymore. They're Christ. And that's what God does. That's God's perfect plan. The work that God does on the inside of us is important because that's the work that was prepared for us. The work that's prepared for us is waiting for the change to us. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, but it's the gift of God, not by works. It's nothing that we can do in our own strength so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. He's creating something in us. He's molding us. To do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And the works are not for us to do in our own strength, but we will do those works that we were created in Christ Jesus to do as a result of our transformation. So the good works which God has prepared for us in advance for us to do, the works which Christ will do through us when we truly, when he truly comes into our lives and when we truly accept his love. Because it's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. And we live in the tension of this verse of us working versus the power of the Holy Spirit working on the inside of us, right? Not by works so that no man can boast. But we're God's handy work so that we can do the works through Christ Jesus. What are the good works that were prepared in advance for us to do? I believe that it looks like this. And we can find it in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. The works that God is creating us for, it looks patient. It looks kind. It doesn't look like envying. And it's not boastful. It's not proud and it doesn't dishonor other people. It's not self-seeking and it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs and it doesn't delight in evil. But it looks like us rejoicing in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and always perseveres. The power of that works on the inside of us not only frees us from the bondage of having to sin, and it frees us from the bondage of death, but it gives us freedom to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. That superhuman love, like Spider-Man, like the Care Bears. Like, really? That's what it's about. So what does that power that works on us look, look like in us, individually? 
what does it look like collectively? I'd like to close by answering that question with a letter that was written in the second century. And this letter was written to the tutor of the future emperor, Marcus Aurelius. And what this author is trying to describe is this persecuted people group called Christians. So Christians are indistinguishable from other men, either by nationality, language, or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. Their teaching is not based upon revelries inspired by the curiosities of men. Unlike some other people, they champion no purely human doctrine. With regard to dress and food and manner of life, in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it's Greek or foreign. And yet there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of an alien. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland is wherever it may be. Like others, they marry and have children, but they don't expose them. They share their meals, but they don't share their wives. They live in the flesh, but they're not governed by the desires of their flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they're citizens of heaven. Obedient to laws, yet live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. Condemned because they're not understood. They're put to death but they raise again. They live in poverty, but they enrich many. They're totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that's their glory. They're defamed, but they're vindicated. A blessing is an answer to abuse. For the good that they do, they receive the punishment of malefactors. But even then, they rejoice as though receiving the gift of life. This was a second century letter that was written to the tutor of who's going to be the future emperor, Marcus Aurelius. And the question that I have for myself is how does that power that works on the inside of us, that brought us from death to life, what does that look like for us individually? What does that look like collectively? When the world sees us, what will they say about us? My hope is that they say something similar to that letter. Matthew summed it up in uh, chapter 5, 14 14 through 16. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a city or on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives life to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. My prayer is that we would know the power that raised Jesus from the grave. And that we would know that that's the same power that brings us from death to life.
My prayer is that we would also feel that power working on the inside of us. Because the truth is we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And lastly, my prayer is that if anyone has not experienced the love of God, would you surrender yourself to him today? And experience what it means to be brought from death to life and to know that this wonderful power works on the inside of us. If the prayer team could take the wall. The altar is going to be open. And I just want to encourage everybody here today. We have a, a culture where everybody is encouraged to seek prayer. Whether it's with somebody on the wall or even at the altar. And if you have not received that love of God, and if you have not experienced that transformative power on the inside of you, I just want to encourage you to pray with somebody today. Thank you.